0: Okay, Okay. today's date is Sunday, March 27, 2022. We are reading from the big book of AA pages 72 and pages 73. Ben will be be our speaker and Lynn will be our reader. Um, After our reader reads, there will be a 20-minute share by Ben. So um, go ahead, Lynn. You could start the reading at having made personal inventory. You may need to unmute, Lynn. So I did. So I did. Thank you. Lynn Compulsive Eater and Food Addict.
1: Recovered Living in New Jersey. <clears throat> Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We have been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which, when completed, will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaner. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life stories. More than most people, the alcoholic leads to double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his freeze. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examination. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder, many in the medical profession have a very low opinion of alcoholics and their chance recovery.
0: Thank you so much for reading. Now I'd like to introduce our speaker. Our speaker today is Ben, and I'm very excited to hear what he has to say to illuminate and share on these pages that we have just read. So Ben, the floor is yours. Thank you for sharing.
2: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben L. I am from Morristown, New Jersey, and this is, is close to a home group in OA that I have. This is where I first uh, went to uh, OA um, studying the big book. Kim handed me the big book that's right in front of me um, a few years ago, probably about three years ago. Um, and thanks to uh, my first sponsor, it's heavily uh, annotated um, and I'm a little overwhelmed. You know, it's, it's not just, it would be easy just to tell my story, but the, the, perp, the purpose of, of being here this morning and speaking is to do service and to, to talk about our reading. And it's, it's so, and I will do that. But at the same time, I think it's important for me that I share a little bit about myself and my recovery uh, in OA. way. Uh, so I may jump back up and forth a little bit with the reading and with uh, telling you about me. Uh, and if it gets a little jumbled, I apologize in advance. Um, I did uh, spend most of yesterday creating a nice six page, uh, single spaced presentation, because that's just the lawyer in me. And I thought i better be prepared. And uh, And when I read it again last night, I said, you know what? You sound like you're giving a speech, so forget about it. and uh, you know, I just—you know—this is going to come out more. This is this is the actor without any lines, because I've spent most of my life uh, as an attorney presenting the stage character. So I'm going to do my best to present to you, Ben. Um, I'll start at the end about the psychologist. You know, I—I'd I, uh, say about four or five years ago, I was seeing the psychologist, uh, and among other things, we spent a lot of time talking about my food and my compulsive eating and my inability to do anything about it. And at some point I said to him, you know, food is, is my best friend. It's my source of comfort. It's been my lifelong friend, my entire life. And he looked at me kind of funny because, you know, he didn't, he didn't understand it. Like the people on this, on the Zoom uh, meeting understand it, but it, it's a fact that, that from my earliest memory, food was there for me. And uh, I, was a, I was a fat kid. And um, by that, you know, I went to the Husky Department. I, uh, somebody once shared that the, uh, one of their worst memories growing up was getting weighed at school. And that was absolutely me I was in a small elementary school and each year, um, the classes, you, you, know, you would line up and you would get weighed by the school nurse and, uh, people could see how much everybody weighed in the line. And I dreaded those days. I can't, you know, to this day, talk about getting scarred emotionally, that the idea of getting weighed, um, uh, at ages seven, eight, nine, um, uh, Kind of stuck with me, Um, and as a as a as a a husky, chubby, uh, overweight, fat kid, I think in those days we just called them fat. We didn't have other names for them. Uh, You know, it was not getting picked in the beginning of games. Usually, getting picked towards the end, sometimes last. Um, It was. It was the kind of life that drove me to isolation and the comfort of food. Because when I was by myself, I was the youngest and spent a lot of time at home, both parents worked. And uh, I got great comfort out of watching old movies and eating peanut butter and jelly on Ritz crackers. I mean, those, those are some of my, some of my um, most pronounced memories. And I knew I was different as a kid because my parents brought home four. I I've told this story before, but it really is telling for, for my life. My parents uh, brought home four Tasty Cakes, you know, Tasty Cakes are little package cakes uh, in our region each week from the grocery store. And I had an older brother who did not suffer from compulsive eating. And they would get the two chocolate candy cake packages, which I loved each week. And then they'd get my brother's two packages of butterscotch crimplets. And there's three in each package. And I would always eat my two chocolate candy cake packages the first day. I just, I liked them and I just ate them right away. And my brother would nurse his six, Butterscotch crimpets in the two packages throughout the entire week. I mean, he actually ate one a day. And I couldn't understand it. And it was so hard for me not to eat his packet, you know, his butterscotch crimpets. And sometimes I did. I I, I couldn't help myself, and I did. But that is kind of that that is me and my compulsive eating in a in a nutshell. I needed it all of it. I needed it at once. Uh, and I needed that that sense of ease and comfort. Um, so what happened? So, so um, when I was in ninth grade, my mother took me to uh, Weight Watchers. And, and uh, Weight Watchers was kind of new. Then it was the 60s. And, um, and I lost all this weight. I was the youngest kid. In, I was 14, I think, at the time lost 60 pounds. You know, I come in every week and lose, you know, I have weight loss and people would cheer. And, uh, you know, I thought it was just the greatest thing ever. The, 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 the idea of losing weight, yes, but the applause for losing weight was, um, intoxicating and, uh, and that weight loss changed my life. I mean, in high school, I suddenly went from the fat kid to a, to somebody who actually had pretty girlfriends and was popular and, became a leader in some of the organizations I was involved in 10th, 11th grade were, were terrific. You know, for many years, I'd look back on it and say, those are the greatest years of my life because I was, um, a normal weight. I, I had, I was popular. I had friends and I, and of course that connection meant, you know, weight loss, life is good and, and without more. That was just it. But then a uh, senior year, my world got rocked. My dad died of a, a heart attack. My mom kind of checked out. And, um, at least I thought so. And, you know, she started dating right away and, you know, I was back to isolation back to needing something to make me feel better. So I started to eat again and then I went to college and it was 1969, 70. And I, uh, you know, I learned how to drink. I learned how to, to, uh, take drugs. I learned how to eat at three o'clock in the morning at, at the all night bakery. And, and before I knew it, those 60 pounds were, were were back back there. So, so I then became, and I'll fast forward to the, you know, the decades, but the, the idea was I would, um, I would go up and down, down and up, up and down. You know, we've heard from all of us many times. I could go through the litany of all the weight loss programs, all the weight loss books that I tried. Um, I, I, I was involved with every, every one of them that I could think of um, and had success with some of them. Uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the shake thing that came out, I was like a superstar. I lost all this weight right away. And, you know, I took up running in 1979 and I really ran. And to this day, I, I don't run, but I walk run. Um, you know, I became active physically and I had some good years where I was running 30, 35 miles a week and I was at a decent weight. And, but that only lasted a few years before before stuff happened. And, and uh, I went back to my best friend and uh, it was always there for me and the weight came back. So I was always in this 50 pound up and down range. Um, and I, I was, it was always isolation for me. You know, it was always about um, not knowing my, li- I knew my lines professionally, but Everything else in my profession, but my profession, I really didn't know my lines. Speaking, you know, I went to a psychologist in the mid 80s when my first marriage was on the rocks. And, you know, and I'm, I, my one takeaway from that, from those sessions, and this, this is like late 80s, was um, I don't know what to say in social situations. I don't, I, I just, I walk in and everybody's talking and having conversations and I can't. I don't know what to do. And, uh, she would, she would like practice with me and give me suggestions about what to say and, and, or or tips about conversation. And it was like, all she was doing was feeding me some more script. You know, my problem wasn't, I needed a new script. My problem was that I needed to find myself and see who, who Ben really was. And that, There was no conversation like that. So so fast forward to the, it's 2010, and um, my drinking had gotten progressively worse uh, over the years. And uh, by now I was second marriage and two younger kids. And um, and, uh, I met somebody. Uh, it was, again, it was a counselor who said, you know, Ben, you're an alcoholic and you need to go to AA. And I said, well, is there something else, any other suggestion you have? And, uh, and she said, no, you have to go. So that became that in 2010, uh, I started my journey in, in, um, in sobriety and it's been almost 12 years. Uh, and um, I've never relapsed and have a you know my, my friends are all in the program. you know I, I know it's not AA, but but the, but what's important, the takeaway I wanted to express today was it didn't stop my relationship with my best friend, food. And when when people say all the time, well, you know those credits aren't transferable and there are a lot of people, it, on this call, uh, on this Zoom meeting, and and um, and generally uh, in OA, I find that also have struggles with other um, defects, uh, addictions, and as I do, and what I found, and the reason I, I to me, the reason I was, um, I've been able to stay sober and not relapse is because I still had food. I still had my relationship with food all those years. And, you know, my, my first days of sobriety consisted of every night I would have this huge bowl of frozen yogurt with strawberries, bananas, and lots of granola. And of course I was getting my sugar fix um, because I was in sugar withdrawal. Right. And I'm thinking I'm eating healthy every night. Because I'm having frozen yogurt, not ice cream. But obviously, that's not what was taking place. I was just substituting one addiction for another, and I was I was surprised at the time. You know, I'm not losing any weight, and I've given up all this booze and you know all those calories and, and bottles of wine and all. Well, sure, because I was still I still had my best friend with me. And that best friend stayed with me um, in my years of sobriety. And, and in 2015, I, I, I went to my first OA meeting. I can't tell you what, why it was suggested, or maybe I read something and said, well, if, if it worked in it for, for alcohol, maybe it can work for food. So I went to uh, some meetings off and on for a couple of years, and it never took for me. Uh, because I didn't do anything, I just went to meetings. You know, I, it, it, there were like I remember in the summers I would I would like listen to these you know the the Harlan tapes and these other tapes. I had all these people in OA who were making suggestions to me, and I write things out and I do all these things that were internal to me. In other words, I was in my isolation, thinking I was going to will myself into abstinence, but of course it didn't happen. And I, uh, in 2020, well, in 2019 or 20, two uh, two fellows in AA told me about uh, Kim's meeting, and I went to that meeting on Sunday and got, as I say, got my big book, um, and went to those Sunday meetings and and you know and listened, absorbed, but didn't do anything. To get abstinent, other than go to the meetings and whine about why it wasn't working for me, and then I, um, I I was living alone. It was 2000 and the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. For the first time, I was living alone, and you know what? I started to I discovered that you could have all kinds of food delivered. I had nobody to to uh, to watch me. I didn't have to hide in the cupboard. You know, my eating disorder was um, standing in the cupboard when everybody went upstairs at night and eating cookies and chip potato chips and other things until, you know, until I was sick, not sick, but until I, enough was enough. And it was no different than drinking a bottle of wine and and blacking out at the end of each night. To me, looking back, it's the same thing. You know, it's making, trying to make myself feel better. So I got to the point where I was having ice cream delivered, which DoorDash can do. I learned, and uh, and and getting physically ill, and I reached out um, one last January, two Januarys ago to Kim, and uh, I hope it's okay to to say this, Kim. And I said, you know, I'm done, Kim. You know, I, I need I need help. I need to I need to. I need a sponsor. I need. I, I. I get it. You have to go through the steps, I, you know. So she gave me a list of all the all the people in recovery that she had helped. And uh, that Sunday, a speaker was on, and, and I, I liked everything she said. And I called her. And she, she um. She was gracious enough to become my sponsor, and she took me. We read the book starting with the preface, page by page, word by word, and um. And that was the beginning of my recovery with, you know, my first day of abstinence was February 1, 2021. I've been blessed with two sponsors. My first sponsor, as I said, took me through the the big book, um, step-by-step and page-by-page rather. And my second sponsor taught me how to pray to God or, 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 or helped me connect to God. And I've been blessed with both sponsors. And, and what's happened, and I want to somehow bring this back to our reading today. I think I have some, a little time left, is in my recovery. Um, my sponsor, my first sponsor, gave me exercises in my fourth step. And I had pages and pages of fourth step. I remember I had gone through this twice in AA, but it was nothing like this. There was, it was, you know, it was a completely different experience. My, my fourth and fifth step in OA was transformative. Um, I felt I made an exhausting inventory uh, and did, you know, went through all of the the things we read the last few weeks in the fourth step. And then I spent over four hours with my sponsor going through my fifth step. And it was the first time I can say, Until you know, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all of their life story. I felt that I had told all of my life story to my sponsor. I mean, I, I felt I didn't leave anything out, you know, the deep, dark stuff. And, 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 and I know you're, you know, men with men and women with women uh, in AA and, and probably to, to most, mostly that's applicable in OA, but for whatever reason, you know, God put um, this person in my life and I was able and felt comfortable enough to share it all, to lay it all out. And, and she asked me to sit still for a while after my fifth step for like an hour but by then it was like 11 o'clock at night which is really late for me and i did and and the truth is it was unsettling to me it was i felt completely humbled exhausted humbled um spent basically you know and 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 she said to me at the time that I would be one of those people. She thought I would be one of those people that would get um, more comfort, more uh, peace from doing my eighth and ninth step than the fourth and fifth, just because of the nature of things. And, and you know what, she was right. You know, this, we're not up to the eighth and ninth step yet, but I I just want to just as an aside, um, my eighth and ninth step was true transformative it did bring me a measure of peace that i that i you know i have never had as as an adult um and i i don't know i i hope i have a couple two minutes or so do i somebody let me know um so let me just what's what happened in my life was one i went into action that's what this is about nothing in OA worked for me until I was willing to go into action, to get a sponsor, to go through the steps. and and, and, and But especially the two things that really made a difference in my life was one, I medit- I began meditating in January of 2021 on a daily basis. I meditate, I pray, you know, there's this wonderful OA book for today that I read every day. And I, I, I can't tell you, I can't stress enough how important the, 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 the readings are in my life. You know, I, I, I organize them in my Google notes. I, I read them in this morning. Uh, some of them, you know, I have depending on the subject matter and what I want to from prayer to living now to, well, I mean, all kinds of subjects. It's, it's wonderful. And then I pray, you know, but well, first thing I do, the first thing I do every morning is I get down on my knees and thank God. I thank God for, for many things in my life. Um, and I, if you had told me two years ago, I was going to get down on my knees every morning and pray to God, I'd say, you're crazy. There's just no way I'm getting down on my knees. So thank you. Second sponsor for that. It is a huge part of my life. I can't imagine starting my day any other way, but getting down on my knees and thanking God and asking for his direction each and every day. Um, and I'll close with this. In meditation, you know, I do as I said. I do it daily, and there's this one meditation. It's called meta meditation, and it's about loving kindness, and and I love its its um,
1: uh,
2: its sentiment and what it expresses. And I will just say so. the 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 The, the meditation is is a, a repetition in a variety of circumstances, and uh, and I want to just say it to everyone on this call, uh, may you be well, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you live with peace. And for that, I pass.
0: Thank you so much, Ben, for your
1: share.